welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. everyone and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and it's great to have you join us here again. And thank you to those of you who've taken the time to give us a rating or written a review on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't yet written us a review, then please go to Apple Podcasts, scroll to the bottom of the page, select ratings and reviews, and leave us a rating and a review. We would be very appreciative as it helps other people to find us. So on with today's show. We're not sponsored by anyone. So when I'm interviewing someone or talking about specific brands, I do so purely because I think that they're interesting and that as hairdressers and salon owners that you should know about them. Today, I'm talking about sustainability, carbon footprints, being green, recycling, looking after the planet, etc. And sometimes I think that because that that's the very unsexy side of the hairdressing industry that people might tune out. But I really, really want you to listen to this because as the posters say, there is no planet B and we're all in this together. And the more educated, informed and aware we are, the better for our collective well-being and the well-being of humanity. So my guest on today's podcast is Fry Taylor, co-founder of greensaloncollective.com. Green Salon Collective was founded by environmental experts, hairdressers, and eco-campaigners. Green Salon Collective is the original authority on salon sustainability throughout the UK and Ireland wide. Their vision is to facilitate salon sustainability by recycling the unrecyclable. The profits raised from the sale of the commodities generated get redistributed and recycled too by supporting charities and local communities, as well as aiding all salons on their journey towards a greener future. Now, I know that about 30% of my audience are in the UK and Ireland, and the rest of you are American, some Australian, Canadian, New Zealand, or scattered around another 50-odd countries. Green Salon Collective is a similar business to Green Circles in North America and Sustainable Salons in Australia, and I'm sure that there are many more out there in other countries too. But no matter where you are from, I really encourage you to listen to this podcast as there's some great initiatives being spoken about. So in today's podcast, we discuss how participating in Green Salon Collective brings in new clients some of the amazing things that can be done with recycled salon materials that would normally have ended up in landfill, and how profits are reinvested back into local communities, and lots more. So, without further ado, welcome to the show, Fry Taylor. Hi, Anthony. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. We're big big fans of the podcast, so it's great, great to actually on it. Well, thank you, Fry. It's really good to have you on here. I'm, I'm really excited about, uh, about talking to you, and I know our listeners will get a lot um, out of today's podcast. So let's start by you giving us a brief overview of what Green Salon Collective does. Okay, so essentially we are a waste management company that specializes in those hard-to-recycle items, things like hair, 
contaminated foil, as well as the traditional things like paper and plastic. We are salon exclusive because some of the founders are hairdressers, but we also have an educational element as well because we want all hairdressers, no matter what their level in the salon is, to be able to confidently talk about recycling and sustainability to to their clients every day. Okay, that's really interesting. The educational element, I didn't realize that that, that you know component existed to it as well. So, um, tell me, what what was the impetus behind starting it? I know you know that that uh, you know your mixture of 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 hairdressers and sort of environmentalists, etc. What was the the impetus behind getting this you know company off the ground and getting it going? Well, we were really we were really intrigued with what was happening or more importantly, what wasn't happening in Ireland and the UK, because for 10 plus years, there's been a great company in Canada and North America called Green Circle Salons, who offer salon exclusive recycling. I was currently living in Australia where I was working with a company called Sustainable Salons, which again is very similar to Green Circles. And we were just trying to find who is doing this in the UK and Ireland. And we were looking and looking and looking, and we just couldn't believe that there wasn't a similar system in place to green circles or to sustainable salons. And that's when I started to sort of make a few phone calls. Paul, who's one of the co-founders, um, he comes from a sort of business background, but he also spent a lot of time at Greenpeace. So he he brought some different skill sets to what I was bringing from the hairdressing side. And then we had Kay, another co-founder, who was working actually on a governmental level as a, as a waste advisor. And we all just were, were sort of thinking, okay, what could we do in the UK and Ireland that would take the best elements that are already out there but what can we what can we add to that? And and that's really how how Green Salon Collective came about. There was there was a need for it in the UK and Ireland, and and salons have been um, have been really supportive of uh, of our journey since since we recently launched. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. There's a there's a need for it every everywhere. Do do you think, or do you, do you find out there? You know, especially now that you say you've also got an educational element to it. Um, I'm thinking about the the young generation today, you know, Gen Z. So anyone between the ages of, I think it's eight and 23 at this point in time, uh, this new generation of, 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 you know, young people called Gen Z. And obviously in the hairdressing industry, we have a lot of them um, and Mm -hmm. as well as millennials. So the question I'm asking you is, are the, that generation of people, are they more aware of this? Are they more comfortable with it? Are they sort of, you know, just assuming that this sort of thing would exist and it's something that they should buy into? Or, or, or am I just sort of, you know, um, making generalizations about people and generations that maybe don't really exist? No, I think no, I think you're touching on something there. I think if we look at our members, it's a mixture of, of people that have wanted this type of thing for, for a long time and they've you know, been possibly holding out for it since they were in their twenties and thirties, but it just hasn't been available. Yeah. But with with the younger generation, with people that are twenty five and under, I'm I'm really um, pleasantly surprised at how well that they have taken to us. I mean, the amount of people, twenty uh, year old guys and girls, who are holding bags of hair 
dirty bags of metal. They're actually posing for pictures with their trash and sending them to us because they're excited about being on, on our program. It's just amazing. It's just really awesome to see so many young people driving it. And what we get a lot of on Instagram is we get, hey, I'm an apprentice in this salon. I'm a trainee in this salon. I'm a young stylist in this salon. I want my boss to get involved. Can you give me the information? Can you tell me what's happening so that I can then go and tell my boss of, of what's happening? So in many cases, yeah, it's the younger generation that are driving it to the older salon owners. That, that perhaps hadn't hadn't looked into this um so so yeah definitely a good positive push from from the younger guys okay well that that's interesting which then obviously leads me to ask you know if i'm a salon owner listening to this why should i join a system like you know green salon collective uh, or the equivalent in north america and australia like what's in it for me as a salon owner because you know i suppose the first thing they're going to be thinking about well what's that going to cost me you know because obviously mm -hmm. there's a cost into into doing this at the same time so you know what why should a salon um, join a system like this yeah, well, salon owners, they benefit in, in two different areas. So first, we'll just touch on the, the finances. Um, essentially, with our program, and the same in, in America, same in Australia, the program is funded by the salon's clients and guests. So what we all do in, in, in each of these different continents is that we all encourage the salons to charge their clients a green fee or a green levy. And it's normally in the region of one or two dollars, pounds or euros. 99 times out of 100, the clients are more than happy to pay this green fee because they see the added benefits that the business is getting. So if you're a consumer and you've got the choice of salon A, salon a and salon B, Salon A is going to cost me one pound more to go to or one dollar more to go to, but I know that my hair is getting recycled to grow crops. I know that my metal is getting recycled and that money is going to charity. I know that that plastic bottle, no matter how contaminated it is, is going to get recycled. When you had all of those benefits up, does it justify that, that one dollar or one pound? Well, it, it absolutely does. So from a salon owner's point of view is that it's effectively cost neutral because they have this extra revenue coming in from their clients. And then that extra revenue is used to fund all of the programs. The other thing that the salons get is a point of difference. Quite often, salons make the mistake of defining who they are and how sustainable they are by the products on their shelf. But that couldn't be further than from the truth. It's, it's looking at your whole business and what you're doing in your community and especially what you're doing with your with your waste so we all have different salon locators and we get hundreds of people and in america they would get thousands of people looking at these salon locators because people are wanting to find a more sustainable ethical version of whatever it is they're looking for you know it could be something like eggs if you look at the free range organic egg market now you know, that's when I was a kid, there was hardly any free range organic eggs. And now that's the main thing. Mm -hmm. It's the same with, um, with food, organic cafes, vegan cafes and hairdressing is exactly the same. People want to go to an, to an ethical, sustainable hairdressers if they have the option to and if it's affordable.
So from a, from a business point of view, you, you actually are gaining new like-minded clients that perhaps wouldn't have come to you in the, in the past. But more importantly, you're, you're doing the right thing. You're, you're starting to recycle and dispose of different waste streams properly. Um, so it has huge effects for, for salon owners. Yeah. Okay. That, well, that's really interesting. Um, uh, that it actually, you know, works as a, as a system to bring new clients into the salon. Um, that it is not just a, that it's not just a cost. Um, you, you mentioned the, the fee that is charged. Uh, do, do you think that, that clients, um, like one of the arguments is always going to be, I know it is one of the arguments, is that, well, why doesn't the salon just absorb it into its overhead? Well, why are they charging me mm. at the till on the way out the door an extra dollar or something as a green fee? Why don't they just absorb it? Like clients, you know, uh, expect you to be doing the right thing, but why should they be paying for it? What, what, what would you, how would you address that? I think when salons are, are open and upfront that they have a green fee, it puts them in a position where they, they have to justify it. So they have to have those conversations in the salon. When you're a salon owner and you bury that green fee, the stylists are then not so incentivized to talk about all the different things that you're doing. When you go for a regular haircut and color, and the price has gone up because it's that time of the year when the prices go up. That's when, that's when the consumer can think, well, I'm getting the same haircut. I'm getting the same color. The service might not even be as good this year as it was last time, but now I'm having to pay, you know, five euro dollar pound more. There's not really anything there. There's not really any added value for that person in the salon having their hair done. When you look at a green fee or a green levy or a green tax or a sustainable fee, however the salon words it, well, now suddenly the, the salon's customer are actually getting added value because now that their hair is going to be recycled, now their metal is going to be recycled, et cetera, et cetera. So by having it out and open, it becomes part of the culture of the salon because now the salon is a sustainable salon. It's a bit like if you think of an organic cafe or a vegan cafe, they never hide that element of their business. They, they talk about it and it's there on the front door. It's exactly the same with us. We have a, a sticker on the front door to say that you're a member of Green Salon Collective. On all of the window, on all of the mirrors within the salon, there'll be little stickers that say things like, did you know your hair can grow food? Did you know your metals can uh, fund a meal for, for those in need? So all of these conversation starters are all over the salon. And we just find that by, by having it there, it does a lot more good and a lot more positivity than by the owner just absorbing the cost themselves. Because essentially, every waste stream has a positive story. Um, the hair, the plastic, the paper, whatever it may be. And the clients, the clients definitely know about that more when you're upfront about the green fee. So, so speaking very broadly, it, it isn't really an issue that they are, are having it as a, as an extra. You know, you get one or you get the odd person here or there that the odd salon here or there that wants to absorb the costs themselves. But, um, it's it's just recommended, and we know it look, looks 
and works a lot better when you when you have it as a separate item. Yeah, I mean, I've heard it said, and I agree with this actually, uh, that if you absorb it, um, yes, it's good uh, in terms of it being you know a, a cleaner transaction for the for the client. It's not like your bill is this plus that. Um, yeah. Uh, but the downside of it is that well, you take a time like now where, you know, we, we're going through COVID and businesses are under a lot of financial pressure. There'll be a lot yeah. of salon owners that are out there looking at their, you know, profit and loss report and they'll be looking at, well, where can we reduce overhead? And if yeah. it's something that you're covering within your existing um, you know, cost structure, then things like this would be probably one of the first things that you might decide, well, we can't afford that luxury anymore. Whereas yeah. if you are charging a separate amount for it over and above, then it, it's not one of your overheads that you're having to reduce. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. And what I've found very interesting recently is that a lot of salons across the world are charging a a PPE fee or yeah. you know or COVID fee, a, a personal protective equipment fee. Yeah. And I've always found salons a little bit cautious to to just suddenly put three, four, five pounds, euros, dollars onto a bill. But because they've seen, well, hang on, I have to now buy these masks, these gowns, these visors. Yeah. I have to pass that cost on. And the the one sort of positive I've seen from from the lockdown and from COVID with with regards to hair salons is that hairdressers are starting to to put more value on themselves and what they're doing. And and we see here in the UK salons charging up to four or five pounds, which is about eight or nine dollars. Um in, in a PPE fee. So I think it's been, uh, in a way, we've come at a good time because hair salons are saying, well, look, we've, we've got this PPE fee. Now we have to have a, a green fee as well. And yeah, salons have been, have been really supportive of it. And like I said, nine out of 10 are, are actually doing that or they're doing some sort of combination of an, one add on which covers the green fee and the PPE fee as, as one add on. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, even I, as you were saying that, I was just thinking of that transaction at the front desk, you know, uh, being like, okay, so your haircut today is X dollars, pounds, euro, plus another X for a PPE fee, plus another X for a, you know, a green fee. Uh, sure. And it does start to get messy when you, when you look at it like that. So, um, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point of, um, you know, how salons are going to address that. Um, so, yeah. Let's not get bogged down on that too much, but explain to us how does the how does the process work? So I'm a salon. I sign up to Green Salon Collective or or any of these initiatives and in, in other continents and countries. Um, how does how does the process work for you guys? Like, what does it look like from the salon owner's perspective? Well, from the, from our point of view, we would always um, we always send the salons a, a registration kit. So the registration kit has all of these conversation starters, uh, whether it be the, the information booklets, the, the mirror stickers. We've put together a really great book called the Green Bible, which gives salons some really good pointers of other areas of their business that they can look at to become more sustainable. Mm-hmm. We also provide them with the the sort of separation bins and bags. So the hair will now go into the hair bin, the metals into the metal bin. Um, but most importantly, we then will always invite them either to, to do a training in their salon or to do it via Zoom, depending on their location. 
and we'll try and get all of the everyone in the salon together so we can really talk to them in detail about all the new recycling elements that the salon is now doing um, and because we want that confidence to to run through the whole team not just the the salon owner and then that just comes back to to yeah to to getting that message out there to all of the all of the clients as well so yeah that's that's how it's always started and it, it would be similar in the other countries as well it all comes down to the separating because when it comes to recycling in general wherever you are in the world whether it's home or business it's the separation that's the most important where where we are Anthony in the UK only 20% of plastic actually gets recycled and that's largely down to separation Right. If you're not separating your plastics properly at home or in your business, no one else is going to do it for you. We, we, I always had this sort of notion that when you put something in a recycling bin, it goes to this huge center where there's 200 people all sorting and cleaning and taking lids off. That That's not the reality of a recycling center. Okay. So step one is that the salons will do that process for us. And that's that's key in, in being able to recycle lots of these different items. We couldn't recycle hair if it was mixed in with your with your lunch waste and your and your foil. So, so what? So so as part of their, you know, joining fee or whatever it is, they get a series of different you know boxes or whatever uh, that yeah. are already you know coded for you know plastics, metal, you know chemical yeah. waste or whatever. So that so they're at at point of use, they're automatically separating it. Exactly. That's exactly right. So the salons will receive different bins depending on the commitment that they that they have with us. And one bin will be labeled hair, and that's where all your haircuts will go. One bin will be labeled plastics, and that's where all your plastics will go. And that, that separation at the beginning helps us at the, at, the, at the other end, because then we have less sorting to do. And then it makes, makes just makes life easier for us to get things to the right recyclers. Because a lot of a lot of the waste items that salons throw away can actually be used to make really fun products or they actually can be recycled into other items. It's just they quite often need a specialist to do that. Yeah. And you don't get specialists from your just local authorities. So that's why companies like ours and Green Circles, et cetera, are able to, to help salons in that way. Okay, well, I'm going to come back to that in a minute because I know there's some great initiatives you've got going there. Uh, you mentioned the Green Bible before. Now, I've actually seen it already. Uh, can can salons download that off your website that aren't necessarily, you know, like so a salon in Australia or Canada or America, which obviously is not where you're located, can they, can yeah. they download that to have a look at it? Because I thought it was a really good uh, Bible and I was particularly impressed with the uh, the checklist that you have at the back. Yeah, at, at the moment, it's only something that we have for our members. Right. But as, as the Bible gets bigger, maybe a second testament on the, on the green Bible, yeah, yeah. Then, then we might start to release some of the information um, on, on our website. But we would like to long-term or even medium-term have a, a small uh, PDF download that, that Stalons can get some information from, and then we'll, you know, we'll save the full Bible for, for members. But yeah, I'm glad you like it. And it, and it is something that we're really proud of because the thing with, the thing with sustainability in general is that you can quite easily feel a little bit overwhelmed. Like it's, it's such a huge task, but we always say we don't, you know, don't let 
perfection be the enemy of good. You know, do, do what you can where you are with with what you have. And it's the same with this with this green Bible. The checklist is great. If you you know if you did them all, you would be making a huge difference to your business and the environment. Even if you only took on one or two of those points, it's still gonna it's still gonna have a difference, and it's still gonna help you and your and your salon's journey. Yeah. Well, on, on a practical level, with um, you know this series of different boxes, so that things can be separated at at source, mm. you know, in the salon. On a, on a very practical level, I'm thinking about a coaching client that I uh, work with, and um, they were not using your system. They were based in New Jersey, uh, but they were saying to me that one of the problems they've got is is getting the stuff picked up. You know, that they only had a small salon and under normal circumstances, you know, um, you know, they would just put everything out in the trash every night. But now they're, they're saving stuff in these different boxes to be collected periodically. And mm. so the question I'm asking you is, how is it picked up? Like, how often is it picked up? Because a lot of salons, space is at a premium and they don't want, you know, uh, bags of trash, you know, sitting around uh, yeah. uh, for too long. So, so how do you address that issue? Well, for a salon to be with us, all they would need is 40 centimetres by 40 centimetres um, squared. That's that's the amount of space that they would need. We work off a returns box system. So the individual bins are scattered through the salon. You know, the foil bin is normally at the basin, so the foils can come straight from basin into the bin. The hair bin is normally in the salon because then people can can ask why you're collecting hair. I think salons normally have a few bins scattered around anyway. The only difference with us is that we just need that very small space for the returns box, which is just under a meter high. And into that returns box, you put in your bags of hair, bags of metals, whatever it may be. Okay. We do collections We do collections every day. So whenever a salon needs a collection, they just at the moment they're just sending a text, but the online booking will be up in a couple of weeks and they, they literally just say it's Ella hair one box and the next day the box is taken out of their salon. Okay. So, so uh, um, and I'll just for, for our American audience, 15, uh, 15 inches is what 14, uh, 40 centimeters is. So it's not, it's not that much space that it takes up. So that's interesting to hear. Okay. So let's, let, let's talk about the things that you do recycle. You've sort of touched on a few of them already where you've mentioned hair and, and metals and plastics, but let, mm-hmm. let, let's dig into them one at a time. And let's start off with the obvious one, I suppose, which is hair. Um, how is yeah. that recycled? Like, like what happens to hair? Yeah, well, there's a few different things that we do with hair, and the uh, so we have we have gardening and, and composting, and then we also have mats and booms. So, so what is a hair boom? You you may have seen hair booms because they uh, have been around for a long, long time. It was an American hairdresser, Phil McCoy. We're talking late eighties, early nineties. There was a huge spill, huge oil spill off the Gulf of New Mexico. And Phil was a hairdresser. He was watching this unfold on on TV. And he literally saw these animals come out of the water with their feathers and fur stuck to their bodies, just drenched in this oil. And he was thinking to himself, well, you know, there's no surprise here because we know hair absorbs oil. One of the first things we learn, you don't even need to be a hairdresser to know that hair gets oily. But when you think about it a step further, if your hair is oily, 
and you have a shower and don't wash your hair, your hair is still going to be oily. You, you need that sulfactant to remove the oil. So that got him thinking, well, it seems that hair can absorb oil even in water. So he went to his salon. He, he got all his hair clippings from the day. He got a pair of his wife's tights or stockings, cut the legs off them, and he shoved all of this hair into, into his wife's um, clothes. And he created his own little oil spill. Yeah, I think he did it in his bathroom. He basically filled his, filled his tub, put some olive oil in or whatever it may be. Yeah. And, you know, you can try this at home. It's a, it's a fun game. But the, the hair boom, this, this tightly packed hair just in a cotton tube, will actually absorb oil from the water. Wow. So he was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, we, you know, we need to do this on a large scale. So he rallied all the, all the salons in his area. They were all collecting hair. They were all making these booms. And they were able to uh, – it, it was a coastal town. They were able to, to put these booms out along the shore. And not only did it stop the spread of oil coming onto their coastline, but they were also able to contain the oil. Yeah. And then they were able to remove the oil. So there's an amazing charity in, in North America called Matter of Trust, who make lots of hair booms. Australia, they're, they're starting to do it as well. And, and that's one of our goals here as well, is to, to use hair in these booms to, for oil spills. And when we think of oil spills, we often think of big disasters. But there's, there's small-scale spills with, with little local fishing boats happening all the time, all over these coastal towns. Mm. So you know, if they all had hair booms or if we were able to get booms to them quite quickly, then it's just a, a fascinating way of, of reusing hair. And and this is like just bringing back around to the green fees. You tell these stories to someone who's now paying that extra dollar, they they love it. They love that their hair is going towards these these types of projects. So yeah, that's that's the hair booms. Um my favorite is the hair mats. So essentially, we put hair into, it's almost like a carpet felting machine. It can be any length hair. It could be hair like, like you and I, Anthony, or it could be, could be long hair. And essentially, this machine will weave and felt the mat into what looks like a common doormat. You can make them any length or any texture. The mats will have the similar sort of effect that a boom would have in that it can absorb oil. But what I really like the mats for are for drain coverings. Now, we see a lot of um, statistics about how much plastic is in the ocean. A lot of that is coming directly from litter being on the streets that's eventually washed into our water systems and out into our oceans. If you live on any sort of coastal town, any city or village that's near any kind of river, sea, ocean, the chances are a lot of those drains, those what we call storm drains or rain drains, a lot of that water runoff would go directly into the sea or the ocean without any sort of filtration system. So you can essentially use this hair, felt it into a mat, that's you can lay it over the top of any of these drains. You come back in a week's time, and the amount of plastic, uh, the amount of rubbish and waste that has been attached to this hair mat that has now not gone out into the ocean 
it's um it's crazy mm-hmm. so the hair will will stop all of these plastics at the at the source uh, whereas a boom is more for uh, for for taking things out of the water the mat is more for stopping things getting into the water on a, on a Zoom call, you were talking about these hair booms and not just used, as you just alluded to, they're not just used for big commercial oil spills. You, you mm-hmm. even mentioned that, like, you know, mechanics and plumbers um, yeah. can be using them. So it, it doesn't have to be some big commercial disaster that's on the, you know, the six o'clock TV news. It can just be, you know, these things are being used in a, on a, on a everyday commercial basis and in, in lots of different, uh, um, you know, they have lots of different uses is what I'm saying. Yeah. So, yeah, I was, I was impressed with that. So, okay, so we've got hair booms, we've got hair mats. What, what, what else can we do with hair to recycle it? The hair is actually, and the hair mats in particular, mm-hmm. are really good for, um, for any sort of plants that you have around your salon or, or around your home. If you have any form of pot plant anywhere in your home or your salon, you need to put a, a, like an inch layer of hair at the bottom of each of your plant. What that will do is it will nourish the plant and help it grow better, but you also don't even have to give it as much water and you'll still get all of these benefits. When you when you just water a plant, you just naturally pour some water on a plant, you'll always get a little bit of runoff. Uh, of that of that extra water that will sit at the bottom of the tray sometimes. So when that's happening and you're perhaps watering a bit too much, you're also removing nutrients that are naturally in the soil. When you have that layer of hair at the bottom of your plant, not only does it catch the, the excess water, the moisture that you're putting into the plant, not only does it catch and absorb that, but it also is catching the nutrients as well. Okay. So as the hair starts to break down in the soil, it's essentially feeding that plant with the nutrients that it may have lost and also the natural nitrogen that is in the hair already. So you can have, you can have two identical plants. You can have one with, with a, an inch layer of hair underneath and one without. You can give the one with hair 20 to 30% less water than the other plant and you can visibly see which plant is growing better, which wow. crop is a better yield. And that's just, that's just from our hair that we throw away. Yeah. So wherever you are in the world, even if you're not on one of these systems, you can do things locally with your hair and tell these stories to your clients as well. Cause you yeah, know, yeah. Well, that's, can, that's a practical thing that, you know, everyone yeah. can do. Okay. So, so let's move on to um, other things that you can recycle. Uh, you mentioned metals. Um, wh- wh- what are some of the things that come under the, you know, in a sp- s- typical salon situation, what are some of the things that come under the metals category and, and how do you, you know, recycle, you know, them? Like what, what, what are they like on this journey of, you know, repurposing? Well, this, this was one of the things that was, really heartbreaking when we were looking at the UK and Ireland because you might know better than me, but we must be looking at about 30 to 40,000 salons across the UK and Ireland. And there was a study at the University of Southampton, so so quite a good university in, in the south of England, and they concluded that 1% of this 30, 40,000 salons, 1% of their metals were actually being recycled. Mm-hmm. which meant 99% was going into landfill. So what that means is that 
these contaminated dirty metals are basically sitting in our environment, taking three or four hundred years to break down. And all of the chemicals that are coming off that foil is also finding its way into our ecosystem as well. Mm-hmm. So when we were looking at this from outside of the UK, we were thinking, my God, this is just, this is just so archaic. It's, there's literally people planning on, on building rockets and moving to Mars. Mm. But as an industry, we're struggling to recycle a material that can be recycled forever. Yeah, That's what's so crazy about this. A piece of paper you can recycle three or four times. A piece of contaminated hairdressing foil or an empty color tube, no matter what brand, can be recycled again and again and again and again, literally forever. And you'll have the same amount of aluminium that you started with um, from what you began with. Um, so for us, this was a real uh, eye-opener and a real heartbreaker. Essentially, you just need a specialist recycler to deal with these contaminated metals. So typically a hair salon will go through a lot of foil. Uh, They'll go through a lot of color tubes. You know, the staff will go through cans of drinks and you'll have cans of hairspray as well. Now, traditionally, wherever you are in the world, those metals, because they have that color element attached to them, they become deemed contaminated and therefore they can't be recycled. What, we do is that we take all of these contaminated metals, we take them to a specialist recycler that deals with contaminated metals, and not only can we 100% recycle them, but they're a commodity. Metals are commodity because it can be recycled forever, so we can actually make money from it as well. So anytime that we that we raise money through this recycling process, we then can put that back into our industry. So there's, there's local charities within the UK and Ireland that are hairdressing or environmentally based, and we can give that money back to those salons and those charities too. So, yeah, the metals is um, it's crazy. And just to give you some, some rough numbers, we, with the first 20 salons that joined our program, they, within a matter of, of five or six weeks, those first 20 were able to recycle 360 kilograms of contaminated foil that would have otherwise um, gone into gone into the environment. That was just with the first 20 salons. Mm. Now we're at 150 salons. And if you think about green circles in America that have thousands of salons, it's a it's a huge impact. Salons are, are able to make you know for the, for their business huge environmental impact. Yeah. What Another thing that we do is that we weigh everything salons give us. So we can give salons quite accurate data at the end of each year. Your salon has diverted, you know, 10 liters of chemicals, 50 uh, kilograms of metal, whatever it may be. But most importantly, and and this is part of the reason for the name Green Salon Collective, is that we will have a collective industry total and at the end of the year, we will be able to say, look, these are our salons. This is what we've done as an industry, two tons of this, three tons of that. And to be a part of that is just amazing. That, that's what sort of excites us the most. Because like, like I said, you have people that feel overwhelmed. What can I do? I'm just working on my own. But as soon as you join this collective, this gang, this essentially family, then you start to become part of a, of a bigger movement. So... I'm going a bit off topic here, but yeah, the metals. So that's yeah. how we, that's okay, how we do so, 
So let's let's talk about uh, plastics then. Another you know big pollutant in the environment. Um, what what are some some you know similar things? Because I know you've got some great stories about how you uh, recycle you know plastic from the the salon industry. So tell us about that. Yeah, plastics is an interesting one because it's it's something that that we as individuals and salons that we try and avoid. But there, there are always going to be some levels of plastics and. Just broadly speaking, there are seven types of plastics. And depending on where you are in the world, your local authorities will probably take care of two or three of those types, but then the rest will just end up in landfill. And that's why, like in the UK, we have the situation we do where only 20% of our plastic gets recycled. What we want to do with plastics, there's two or three types in particular, is to turn them into salon tools. So the first thing we did with the plastic waste that we got was that we were able to make them into plastic combs that the salons can use because recycling facilities are these big industrial complexes, but there's this amazing company called Precious Plastics, and they've basically worked out how to scale down a recycling center to something that could essentially fit in an average double garage. So it's a small scale production where we literally take shampoo bottles, oxidant bottles, lunch wrappers, shred the plastics down. They are then melted and then they are reshaped into a new form. So if you was to have a a shampoo collection where all the packaging was sort of white and white and black, uh, you could produce a, a comb or a color bowl or whatever we decide, and it will have those same colors that will come through in the end product. So it's really, um, it's a really exciting project. At the moment, we're working with combs. We already made the first combs. We would like to make color bowls, uh, cause that seems like a nice, a nice easy thing to do, mm-hmm. but we're going to put it to our members. We're going to reach out to the members of the collective and say, look, these are the machines we have. Do you want to see a color bowl? Do you want to see a balayage board, a freehand board? You know, do they even still exist? Do you want to see a coaster? Would you rather have a stool? There's there's no end to the creativity that, that can be done with plastics and with um, with hairdressers. So it will be really interesting to see what they want, but they they definitely love the combs. And again, it's a circular economy. So so you know, uh, salon buys plastics, salon uses plastics. We then reshape the plastic into a new tool. Salons can then essentially sell those plastics on to, to their clients or we can sell them back to the salons and any money that's raised in that process will then come back around into those local environmental uh, charities. Yeah, that's, so, that's amazing. I, I mean, I just think turning it into, into color bowls in particular, I, mean, I know combs must be uh, difficult, especially color combs, et cetera, because, uh, cutting combs, because, you know, they're such a specialist thing. But uh, uh, to make color bowls and, and, like you said, balayage boards and stuff, I think that's a, that's a brilliant initiative. Well, well, what about those things? I'm not even sure if these are coming under the plastics uh, category, but um, gloves. You know, wh- where do they sort of sit in, in this recycling, you know, story? Yeah, gloves are a tricky one because firstly, they're contaminated, which makes them impossible to recycle locally. They do need a specialist and, and we do have specialists in place that can recycle gloves. What we're always 
keen to move on is anywhere where we can come up with a more sustainable version. And the gloves is one of the first things we're going to tackle. We had, we had gloves that were made from plants. So these gloves were made from cornstarch and potato starch and sugars. And they worked in exactly the same way as a, as a traditional hairdressing glove. They were a little bit more loose in the fit. And we sent them out to 50 of our collective members to get their feedback on them. And I think we've got a waiting list about 50 deep at the moment for these gloves to come out. Wow, so fantastic. if there's an opportunity to make a more sustainable version and we're able to do it or we're able to source it, then then that's what we'll do. So these gloves are 100% compostable. So that means that you can put them into a, a typical general waste trash can and they will break down without causing any negative effects on the on the environment yeah so it, it, it's interesting talking to you today because it was just yesterday i saw on the uh, on the news they were talking about those plastic beads that used to be in a lot of cosmetics, um, cleansers and stuff for exfoliating. And, uh, and of course that these things are so small that, you know, they'd be washed down the sink and then they would eventually end up in the sea and then the fish would be eating them and the fish have got then plastics in them. And then we catch the fish and we eat the fish and that's got plastics in them. And, you know, you, you can see the inevitable problems. Anyway, the, this program on the news yesterday was saying that they have just managed to develop a, plastic um, product, for want of a better word, uh, that is made out of peas and uh, potatoes. So, um, uh, again, so now, and, and it will be able to do exactly the same thing as these beads that are usually been found in cosmetics and exfoliants, etc. So now the same thing is being washed down the drains, eventually ends up in the sea, the fish eat it, but what mm. they're basically eating is plant protein. Uh, right. sufficient it's, it's full circle again so it, it, it's interesting what science is capable of with enough time and research and and the commitment to you know find alternatives to these things so congratulations on the gloves um w w one plastic thing which i'm thinking of that they use in salons and i need to preface the name of it because it's different in every english-speaking country in the uk we call it cling film in the Australia, they call it Glad Wrap, and in the United States, they call it Saram Wrap. Um, so, so that that is plastic. There's a lot of that used in salons and color processing. Is, is that a recyclable commodity? Yeah, it, most of the, most plastics can be. It, it just comes down to to local authorities. So those kind of those kind of plastics, those very soft ones, they're they're firstly difficult to recycle if they're contaminated. But there there is a solution for them. So that's that's part of what we do. That we'll when the plastics come to us, we'll separate them into their seven categories, and then we'll have a solution for them. But um, yeah, there's there's no issue there with with soft plastics. They can be recycled, right? Just go to the right people. Okay. Uh, I mean, I suppose, you know, when I was a kid, which seems like, you know, quite a long time ago, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the first thing that was recycled was paper, you know, and that yeah. was really the only thing we thought of as being recyclable. Does that, well, obviously it does, you know, talk to us about how the paper and cardboard, uh, you know, recycling process um, has, you know, evolved to the, the level that it's at at the moment. Yeah, pa paper, I guess, has always been one of the, the easiest and most widely recycled items. But interestingly, paper cups, so anytime yeah. you get 
people a coffee cup or fast food coffee cup, you generally think that's a paper cup and you can put that into the paper recycling. Well, that that has a a fine layer of plastic inside it. So that's never going to get recycled unless it goes to, to a specialist. And in the UK, we use something like 7 million of these cups every every day. And only one in 400 are actually being sent to a specialist. So a lot of the a lot of things will, will look just like a, a regular paper item, but it will have this invisible lining in it. And food containers is a is a good example of that. So we we encourage salons to give us these containers because we have the specialist contacts to to be able to deal with them. But paper, plastics, metals, these these are all commodities. So we can make money from all of these different waste streams. And like I said, whenever I do, uh, whenever we do, that's going back into, you know, back into our industry. As we use a lot of cardboard boxes for, for moving the waste around. And we will always plant one tree for every time we use a cardboard box. So there's always different things that we're looking at because paper is one of those things. It's, it's almost impossible to live without no matter how hard we try. But there's always going to be some paper usage. But paper's a nice, a nice simple one to offset by by just planting trees. So every every day we're planting a tree somewhere. Yeah. And that, that helps that helps us as well and helps the salons as well and reinforce that positive message that they're doing because they know that okay, they're using this big cardboard box from us, but they know that that they've also then planted a tree because of that. Yeah, so sort of you know carbon neutral or whatever the term is for that. Um, okay, well, w- one of the big ones, which I think, you know, everyone just sort of politely ignores in our industry. Well, maybe I'm wrong saying that, but you know, it feels like that, and that's chemicals. You know that that you know we're mixing up you know colors and bleach and peroxide and and you know a, a, a lot of it is just rinsed down the sink. And I'm not just talking about what's left over in the color bowls. But we put mm. it on someone's hair and then we take them to the, the shampoo station and we shampoo it often. It all goes down the drains. So, so what can we do or what do you do about the recycling of, uh, of chemicals to, you know, create a more sustainable, you know, system? Yeah, this, this is a really important one. And it's, it's one that as hairdressers, we often overlook. Um, I, I used to work for a large product company and, if we were caught freely pouring chemicals down the sink, which of course we never did, but if we were if we were ever seen to be doing that on a large scale, then we probably would have been closed down or, or at the very least had huge fines. Whereas as a salon, you can poorly free these chemicals down the sink all day long. Now, the the salons, the, the products that we use in our salons, they're always very gentle on our hair, but they're still a chemical. Uh, they're still a toxic chemical and they need to be treated with in the most responsible way. So the, the common practice for recycling chemicals is that you would actually take tons and tons of chemicals and actually spin them a bit like a centrifuge and you can extract the water from the chemicals. You think about a bottle of peroxide, that's mostly water. You look at the the ingredients. The first the first ingredient is water, and in places like Australia, water is is you know it's a very valuable resource. So it makes sense in that in that instance to remove the water to be able to use the water again, um, and then you're left with almost like a solid compound of chemicals, which we would then put through a waste to energy process. So this is a, a step up from landfill 
where you're essentially turning that into a clean energy. It's the most environmentally efficient way of, of recycling chemicals. It's how we did it in Australia. It's how they do it in America. Um, and it's how we do it here as well. It, it shouldn't be going down the sink and it shouldn't be going into landfill. Uh, they're, they're two of the worst options for it. So, yeah. hmm. Well, especially when you think about, you know, the amount of salons there are out there in any country. I mean, 40,000 odd or whatever it is in the UK. And you just imagine how much color, how much chemical is being put into down the drain every single day of the week. Um, you know, the, the, the picture in your mind as to how many Olympic-sized swimming pools that would fill every single day is, uh, is frightening. And obviously, you know, that, that can't go on forever. Um, so, you know, there, there is one other thing which you've already touched on, which has created an entirely new category, an entirely new nuisance factor, but there's an inevitability about it, and that is PPE. Um, you know, that, that we didn't used to have visors that are made of plastic. We didn't used to have, you know, uh, face masks. We didn't used to have to use as many gloves as we do. Is, yeah. is that creating an additional you know, a problem. And again, the, the biodegradable towels, et cetera. I mean, how do you, how do you handle PPE stuff? Is that separated again at source in terms of recycling uh, for, yeah. for the purpose of contamination? It is, it is. Um, step one is, is education. I mean, we're quite lucky in some respects because in the UK, you can buy visors that are made entirely from plants that are completely home compostable. Um, we do have washable, uh, washable masks and, and aprons, and we will soon we will soon have those those gloves coming out as well. If it is a PPE item that can't be washed or reused, it will be put through a similar process to the chemicals, where it will then be converted into energy rather than be be put into landfill. But, but education is the most important thing with PPE because a lot of it can just be rewashed and reused. Towels is an interesting one. If, if it's a sort of biodegradable type towel that's completely natural, we can actually use those as, as part of our composting process as well. Um, you've alluded a couple of times to um, – uh, how you support different charities, you know, with different mm. commodities. So like, you know, uh, metals or paper or whatever that are able to be recycled and then have a, a financial value to them. Uh, wh yeah. What are some of the charities that you're able to contribute back into? Well, there's a charity here called Haircuts for the Homeless, which is which is quite self-explanatory. Yeah. They, they have pop-up salons all over the UK and they provide free haircuts for, for people who need it. So we're able and, and proud to, to give them any profits we make from, from waste commodities. There is one here called the Hair and Beauty Charity. If you're a hairdresser and you've you're perhaps out of work and you're you're struggling financially, you can apply for grants from the, the hair and beauty charity. So that's that's another one. Um, there's one charity here called Food Cycle. They take surplus food from supermarkets, so food that couldn't be sold, and they will cook healthy vegetarian or plant-based meals to people who need a decent, nutritious meal. And that's available all, all through the UK. So, yeah, we like that for 
for this for that because they sort of have that circular economy about them yeah. that they're taking food that would have been thrown away and putting it to a good cause so we're, we're really happy to support that charity and and yeah tree planting in general there's a few different organizations that we that we work with and we can tweak that depending on on where we need to last month we we planted a couple of hundred trees in australia with with all the bushfires that was happening um more recently we did 200 in north america but also locally in ireland and scotland and portugal um we support tree planting where wherever possible and we're quite lucky we've started to work with product companies now too and they're starting to um to help put our name out there paul mitchell was one of the first that approached us and we every time a a paul mitchell salons joins us we had an arrangement where we would then make another donation to to charity almost like a finder's fee for, for Paul Mitchell recommending us. So we're working on that process with a few other product companies, but they were one of the first here to to reach out to us. But there'll be others, you know, further down the line with Kevin Murphy and Weller and L'Oreal. There'll be lots of other things happening, we hope, with with all of the brands. We are a completely brand neutral. We're, we're the, the Switzerland of hairdressing companies and we we hope to work with many of them as possible, but if they can help us out in some way, then that just further funds the the charities that we support. Fantastic. That's amazing. I mean, I, uh, as you know, I do a lot of work with Paul Mitchell um, and John Paul DeJuria, who's, uh, you know, the co-founder of it. I know that he's heavily involved in a lot of these, you know, different environmental uh, uh, charities. So it's great to hear that that in, in Europe and the UK that they are um, also, you know, very active in doing this. So, um, okay. Uh, Look, we need to wrap up, but I, I did want to just ask you, you know, as you're talking, I'm sort of thinking about what does the salon of the future look like? Um, I know that's a very unfair question. That's sort of how long is a piece of string, but what, what, what do you think? I mean, what, how would you describe what the salon of the future is going to look like, you know, in five years, 10 years from a, you know, environmental sustainability standpoint? What, what are some of the things that you'd like to see? Well, I think that we'll see a lot more of of refill systems because that's something that is definitely being pushed by consumers. Yeah, we have we have supermarkets here in the UK that work off a refill system, and we would like to see salons doing that as well, so the salons customers can bring back their their product bottles, shampoo, etc., and and have it more as a as a refilling station. But I think the the salon of the future will be uh, will be a really ethical, sustainable business. Ideally, it would be run completely from renewable energy. They would have some sort of recycling system in place, like what we offer. They'll be offering shampoo refills, but also water refills. So we we have um, we encourage them to sign up with the water bottle refill program here, which is just called Refill. And it's essentially a sticker on your window, which means that if you're walking past this salon and you've got your your drink container is empty, that means you can walk into this business and they'll they'll fill up your drink bottle for you. Wow, that's good. For, that's good for the business because suddenly someone who would never have walked into their salon now walks in and meets you. Yeah, you give them you you top up their bottle, but there's a conversation. You give them a price list, whatever it may be. We would we would also like to see salons um, change the practices of the staff. So, I mean, if you just swapped your milk in your salon from a dairy milk 
to a, to an oat milk, the environmental impact this, that, that you've done just by doing that would be huge. It's something like a thousand liters of water to produce a liter of dairy milk. Wow. Whereas, whereas it's 50 liters of, of water to produce a liter of, of oat milk. And, and if you made the oat milk yourself, it would only be two liters. Right. So it's, it's interesting because salons think oh, I've changed my taps. I'm saving water. Well, you know, if, if you, if you had a, a meat free Monday for all your staff and if you swapped your milk over, you would save just as much water, if not more, yeah. just by doing those practices. And then taking the step a bit further, who, you know, who do you bank with? Who, um, who, who do you put your savings with? There's, there's more sort of ethical options that businesses can choose. Well, we, some banks are, are more proactive in investing and supporting in, you know, sustainability. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so we we yeah. bank with a we bank with a company called Starling, yeah. and they. I mean, if if you're doing any kind of minery or um, mass scale agriculture or fishing, you you can't even have an account with these guys. And if um, and the way that they reinvest their money is into things like renewable energies. So they would never invest their money into coal and gas, things like that. So you can, once you start digging in your business, there's a lot of things that you can, that you can look at. And I think going back to the salon of the future, it would have all these things in place. It would have recycling in place, renewable energies, refill schemes, ethical staff policies, greener pensions and banking. Uh, and yeah, you know, supplying their salons with, their staff with more sort of plant-based food and drinks. Yeah, all, all those things will be, will be the salon of the future. Well, okay. Well, listen, that's it's been fantastic having this opportunity to, uh, you know, to talk with you and to to further my own education and understanding. And I'm sure a lot of other people would have also learned something from this. So, you know, thank you for, thank you from the planet uh, and, uh, you know, for humanity in general, because it's people like you that you know that take the initiative and do this that creates a momentum and makes it easier for the rest of us to contribute. Because I think that's often the thing is, you know, people sort of don't know what can they do, how, how can they contribute, and uh, everyone can do something. So you know, so thanks for all your input there. Um, where can people connect with you on Instagram or any other social channels to see what you've been up to? Yeah, we we only recently joined Facebook, but we mostly use Instagram. So it's at at Green Salon Collective, or our website is greensaloncollective.com. And if you're in if you're in America, North America, then it's Green Circle Salons. And if you're in Australia or New Zealand, it's um, Sustainable Salons or Waste Free Systems. I'm sure there's others out there as well. They're just the ones that they're just the ones that I know. But yeah, yeah, Green Green Salon Collective for us. Cool. Okay. So thank you very much for that, Fry. I'll put those links on our website um, or in the show notes for today's podcast for anyone who wants to check that out. So to wrap up, Fry Taylor from Green Salon Collective, thank you so much for being on the Grow My Salon Business podcast. Thank you, Anthony. 
thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success. 